Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Hi, this is your Texas oil and gas producer, Nate Hansen, with a special episode of the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. This week, we'll discuss an important question to the oil and gas industry in Texas. Should private companies exercise the right of eminent domain? Or, to simplify it a bit, should company A be allowed to use landowner B's land to build oil pipeline or power lines? It presents us with a business dilemma, a legal conundrum, and a philosophical quandary. If, on the one hand, we say no, the private company ought to stay off the landowner's land altogether, then, under our current system, the oil and gas companies, and ultimately the power infrastructure of the U.S., will suffer. If, on the other hand, we say yes, the company should have the right to condemn and use land belonging to another, then we also say that the right to private property is conditioned upon the interest of the public, rather than the right of the individual. We've got two speakers to debate this issue today. On the negative side of the issue, presenting arguments for limited eminent domain rights, is Nick Laurent of the law firm of Barron, Adler, Clough, and Odo. Nick Laurent is a partner in the Austin office of Barron, Adler, Clough, and Odo, LLP, where he exclusively represents landowners in eminent domain, inverse condemnation, and land use transactions and litigation. Nick has a very active pipeline practice, representing landowners across the state affected by crude oil, natural gas, natural liquids, and other pipeline matters. Nick's practice also includes representing landowners in takings for road and highway projects, electric transmission line projects, other utility projects, federal levy projects, and the U.S.-Mexico border wall. He also represents landowners in contested cases on electric transmission line routing before the Public Utility Commission of Texas and the State Office of Administrative Hearings. Recently, Nick has been appointed chair of the Condemnation Committee of the American Bar Association's Section of Real Property, Trust, and Estate Law for the 2018-2019 term. Nick has also been selected to the 2017 and 2018 Texas Super Lawyers Rising Star List, which recognizes no more than 2.5% of attorneys in each state. On the affirmative side of the issue, presenting arguments for eminent domain rights, is Danny Vu of the law firm of Zabel Freeman. Danny Vu is a partner at Zabel Freeman. His practice focuses primarily on cases involving energy and transportation matters, including oil and gas and real estate litigation, contractual disputes, condemnation proceedings, energy transactions and litigation. His clients include major and independent oil and gas companies, service companies, and pipeline companies. Prior to joining Zabel Freeman, Danny practiced admiralty and maritime law representing platform owners, vessel operators, and oil field service providers. He was selected as a Texas Super Lawyers Rising Star in 2007, 2008, and 2010 by Texas Monthly Magazine. And now, to bring us into our debate, here's Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's special episode. This is episode 97. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, with my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, we got uh, we got an interesting day today, man. Got a big show, man. Got a big show. And happy Texas anniversary and happy anniversary of the show. It's two years, Josh, since we started the show. It just happened to fall around the Texas anniversary date, so we can kind of 
track that. Um, so two years, man, it's crazy. I was looking at the the original podcast, and yeah, you know, we're we're at episode what ninety seven, I think now, and so uh, just how much the show's grown. So thank you to all the listeners. But we do have a big show, as you mentioned. Let's get into it. We're talking about the issue of eminent domain, Josh. Um, we've talked a lot offline about this, and we got some guests that are coming on. As Nate has already uh, kind of told you guys about. Um, what are your thoughts, Josh, on this issue? I know we talked offline, but let's kind of bring that out here for the general discussion before we get to the, to the debate. Well, Ron, uh, through, throughout our discussions, the thing that has become apparent is uh, it's, not a, it's not a simple issue. Uh, there are valid concerns on both sides. Uh, on one side, we have private ownership and the right for people to own private property. And, you know, there's philosophical foundations for why people should be able to own their own property. And, and then on the other side, there is what some people call a social contract or uh, let's call it a large electrical grid, power grid that's powered by the energy sector that provides all sorts of benefits um, to millions of in individuals. And in order for that to be um, a reality, eminent domain has been used by people in the energy sector to obtain their, uh, their minerals uh, in the ground. And that has caused a conflict between the surface owner and the mineral owner. And this has brought uh, you know, a lot of questions about who owns what and, and how much right one has to the other. And so there's just a, a lot of tension between these, these two rights that we have that uh, are both very important to, to most of us. So um, it's a complicated issue. And so we're gonna bring on some, some experts to help us um, think through these things carefully and, and understand them better. Yeah, and a couple of things, Josh, I've thought about, I was telling you this story the other day, but I'll bring it to the, to the listeners, is that I was at a meeting a few years back and I met some folks from Saudi Arabia and they were talking about how they would move their, their, their villages when they found oil. They just moved the villages from one spot to another and the, the next thing you knew, um, you know, you might live here and then now you live somewhere else. Um, and we don't want to see that happen. Obviously, I don't think me and you are saying, hey, we want the government moving the stuff around. Um, on the flip side, if you look at what's happening, um, you, you say, well, if you give private companies full rights, the next thing you know, they could make economic cases for just about anything. So it's a slippery slope to me either way. If you go outside the United States and look at how mineral rights work um, and land ownership works, it's very different from the United States. Um, and that's kind of a scary spot we don't want to be in. But we do see that in places like New York where they basically ban drilling, which is, in my opinion, taking the rights of the mineral owners. Um, so to me, it's a very it's a very slippery slope argument, and I'm curious to hear what our guests have to say. And so without that, I guess we're ready for Nate to get on and to get this bad boy rolling. Thank you, gentlemen. To open our discussion today, as I mentioned, we have two lawyers on. Mr. Nick Laurent with Baron Adler, Clue, and Otto, and Mr. Danny Vu with Zabel Freeman. We're going to open with a couple of statements, each position and what these gentlemen think. To start off, we'll have Mr. Vu presenting a statement for why companies should be able to exercise eminent domain rights. Mr. Vu, you have four minutes to make your statement. Thank you. Um, I really view the question of whether private companies should exercise eminent domain as two sub-questions. One is, should we produce oil and gas in Texas? And the other sub-question is, should government or private industry do the work? So to assist me with answering these questions, I'm gonna reveal my nerdiness. I'm gonna take you all to 1982 Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Specifically, I'm gonna quote the dialogue between Admiral James T. Kirk and Captain Spock. The needs of the many 
outweigh the needs of the few or the one. So in other words, the benefits of oil and gas production, including the transportation from West Texas or South Texas to delivery points, outweigh the property rights of landowners traversed by such pipelines, subject to adequate compensation. So before I get into the benefits of oil and gas production and taking it to market, I need to address the sub-question whether it's better for government to do it or private industry. It's my position that government is wholly inefficient. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard Governor Abbott or Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick say government should get bigger and build and operate pipelines. That's on the state level. On the federal level, I looked up some reports from the Government Accountability Office, and they have, over the years, recommended 724 actions on 278 redundant areas. And they did their homework, they addressed 76% of them, and they saved $178 billion. Or conversely, over the years, they've wasted $178 billion. They also added that since the fiscal year of 2003, cumulative improper payments have totaled over $1 trillion. And I've got, I've got to throw in this, this, this uh, example. There was a finding of two agencies tasked with observing the same catfish. That's just an example of government inefficiency. So we can either have an enterprise that makes money or an enterprise that wastes money. What kind of money are we talking about in Texas? In 2018, $14 billion was paid in state and local taxes and state royalties. That equates to $38 million a day for schools, university, roads, and first responders. It's estimated between 2014 and 2024, the industry will generate $374 billion in economic output, contribute $19.5 billion in state and local taxes, and more importantly, sustain 171,000 jobs. Now, how much more do we have in the ground? That's what you we've done in the past. Answer. Thank you. Uh, we have 49 years worth of oil in the ground, and we have an additional 297 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. We have plans in the Gulf Coast to expand the ability to process light crude. We have expansion plans to process additional polyethylene. This will employ many jobs. And we also have plans to uh, install offshore terminals. It's for what we call VLCC, very large crude carriers to process and take crude to market overseas. Uh, we are also displacing coal. Coal plants in Texas are closing. And lastly, we have the ability to control some foreign policy that is dictated in the past by either OPEC or Russia. That is your time, sir. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mr. Vu. We'll have a statement against companies having eminent domain rights from Mr. Laurent. And Mr. Laurent, you have four minutes, and you may present your statement now. Great. Thank you, uh, Ryan, Josh, and Nate for having us on. It's a very important topic, and, and as a lawyer that practices in this area, there I've seen lots of people that have misconceptions and misunderstandings about the subject and, and happy to participate here today. Um, we only represent landowners, so we're talking about that side of, of the issue. 
Um, and like I mentioned, there's a lot of unknowns about the subject. A lot of people don't know what eminent domain is until they're affected by a project. And at that point, it may be too late for them to do anything differently that they may do otherwise had they known about the subject. Uh, it's an incredibly personal and sensitive subject. Uh, most of the people that we represent are, you know, the, the property they own that's affected is their homestead. It's land that they farm to generate income for their family. Uh, or it's land, for example, their family may have owned for generations. And many of our clients own land that goes back to patents um, from the government. It's been the family uh, for more than 100 years. Eminent domain originally was the power of the king um, way back when, and it was the power of the king to take property for both public purposes, but also for his private purposes, whatever he wanted. He could take land, private land, for, for his own purposes or for public purposes. And it was an issue that when the, the framers of our country got together and wrote the Constitution and then wrote the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, um, felt compelled to address eminent domain because it had been abused by the king. And so the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution and, and the Texas Constitution has similar provision, but the U.S. Constitution says that nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. It was such an important issue that the framers of the country um, specifically addressed it in the Constitution. Nowadays, of course, um, eminent domain is the power of the government to take private property limited by the Constitution for public purposes and with just com uh, compensation. Um, and that, that, that's a right to take property from private landowners for those public purposes. Ordinarily, in, in most condemnation cases that we see, it's the government taking property for roads or bridges or schools or firehouses, things that we all would agree um, have a public component to them and are helpful for the public and for our communities at large and things like that. The state has delegated that power, though. Our state has delegated that power to private companies. So it's effectively given the power of the government to a private for-profit corporations whose interests may not be the same as the government. The government has an interest in providing for the public benefit. Um, private for-profit companies are interested in maximizing value for their shareholders, which is what they're charged with doing. There's really a few, three different issues that, that I would mention in my opening here today that, that we see and that, that we think are important on the issue. The first is the delegation of power to pipeline companies gives them almost unlimited discretion to decide what projects to do and where to place them. Landowners are not invited to participate with pipeline companies as to where these lines will be routed. And unfortunately, under the law, most um, landowners are not permitted to challenge one minute, the routing of a, of a pipeline on their property. They can ask nicely for the, the route to be modified to avoid um, natural features or improvements on the property, but they don't get to force that. Uh, the second issue is compensation. Uh, the Constitution guarantees compensation, but frequently in these pipeline cases, we see compensation focused only on the footprint of the easement and not the impact that it may have to property outside the easement, improvements nearby, and things like that. Um, lastly, the easement terms, um, the terms that govern the relationship between the parties, the form that is initially sent out is often incredibly egregious in favor of the landowner company, provides very little rights to the, to the landowner, um, doesn't provide frequently for restoration of the surface and things like that that can be negotiated, but oftentimes are not if the initial offer is accepted. So uh, ultimately, it's a balance, I think, uh, like anything. We need to balance the needs to get uh, uh, minerals from the Permian Basin, for example, to Houston or from wherever they're produced to market. Uh, but we also have to bear in mind that there's private landowners that, that are affected by that and that um, we can't be taking advantage of, of the private property rights that the state That's does hold very dear. All right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Okay, we're opening up all of our mics now, uh, unmuting you guys. 
For the next 10 minutes, we'll ask each speaker questions about his opening statement. Um, And we'll start off with Mr. Vu. Josh Ryan, you have five minutes to ask him questions. Your clock starts now. Mr. Vu, um, I was thinking about about your opening statement, which uh, I appreciate. Uh, one of the questions I've had is the, the the ability to benefit the many over the few. That has been misused in the past. Um, just to, to give one example, there have been people who have exploited uh, smaller groups of individuals in different areas in order to benefit the vast majority of the world. Um, you can think about tyrannical governments who will exploit a small group of people in order to benefit a larger segment of the society. So while I, I am very sympathetic to what you're saying, obviously in the oil and gas industry, what are the precautions in, in terms of laws and, and limiting eminent domain that will prevent the exploitation of individuals? Uh, well, I think what you're trying to allude to is there a due process for landowners. And uh, due process has been defined by the Texas legislature as making an initial offer, making a final offer. Uh, and if those are not uh, uh, agreed upon, then the condemnor can go to court. Now, if the condemnor goes to court, the landowner continues to have the right to challenge the underlying right to, to condemn. Do they have the power of eminent domain in the first place? Uh, and if, for example, what Nick had said about the routing, if they wanted to challenge the routing, they do have a standard they can challenge it on, albeit a high standard of arbitrary and capricious. And lastly, they can always argue that they're they are deserving of more compensation. So uh, I, I don't have any specific comment toward uh, how exploitation can be minimized. I can only say that there is a defined process of due process for a condemnation action. Okay. Okay, Mr. Vu, um, you mentioned that you want this to be private prop, uh, private companies ran because you know government and Josh and I will agree government is inadequate. The problem, however, is as we know, is when you give power to government. In this case, you're giving the the government the power to rule over whether or not a private company can enforce eminent domain. You've actually given the power to government because private companies will then hire lobbyists and try to influence legislation to make the law more beneficial for them. So I, in my, in my, in, for what I'm understanding you're saying is, hey, we want private companies to do this, um, but the government has to enforce it. Well, that just creates more government, a bigger government, a stronger government, and then the private companies lobby the government to make the laws in their favor. Um, how do you argue against that, that you're actually not giving government more power um, by under the guise of claiming it's for, small, uh, for private companies? Well, I, I don't think I can say the government doesn't have the power. If government wanted to say that we, uh, we would take back all that we have given to the pipeline companies, they could do so. I think they have to acknowledge that it's inefficient. But in response to the issue of whether there's lobbying by, by these large companies, uh, there is an equally powerful contingent of farmers and ranchers in Texas. What we see here is kind of two the immovable force and the unstoppable uh, force combining in Texas. Are we going to respect property rights or are we going to use our natural resources for economic benefit? Uh, I I don't see that there is a David and Goliath situation uh, with this. I I see the the ranchers and the farmers uh, just as powerful and involved in legislation as the pipeline industry. Okay, let me follow up on that then. Um, you mentioned um, 
hey, we want private companies to do this stuff, and you also were critical of government like we are on the show. Uh, but then you part of your case is arguing for the generation of One taxes. Minute, um, okay, so part of your case is the argument for you're going to generate a bunch of taxes. Um, if government's efficient, then why should we be concerned about generating money for taxes, especially when we see the Texas Education Fund is, is, is in shambles right now? Why would we, we be concerned with the, the taxes why, that are why, created? Why would we, yeah, so your argument is we want private companies to do this because government's inefficient. And then, but you later on argued that this generates a lot of ta- taxes for the state of Texas. My question is, why should we be, con- if, if your argument is government's inefficient in things, which we agree with, why then should we be concerned about generating revenue for the state that's going to waste it in other areas? Well, I, I don't necessarily think it's all going to be wasted, but uh, I think the point I was trying to make with the issue of revenue and taxes is that there is a public interest in taking these hydrocarbons out of the ground. There is a benefit to everybody. Uh, for example, if you want to turn on your air conditioning in Texas, Very you're going to probably use it. That's our Pardon time. Me? That's our, that's our oh. time for that section of the Q&A. Uh, we, can, okay. we can save that question for, for the end of our debate here. Because we have five minutes for questions with Mr. Laurent now. Um, Ryan and Josh, you have another five minutes to ask him questions. Well, Mr. Laurent, I appreciate, uh, appreciate your opening statement. There were uh, a lot of points you made that I, I thought were interesting in mentioning the Fifth Amendment and the uh, protecting the rights of the private citizen and the private ownership. Uh, one of the questions I have is, if, uh, is the abuse of uh, an individual who could prevent, um, say there's a, a pipeline that's trying to be laid and the private individual one individual amongst 15 is holding out and refuses to sell his property and pretty much without the rights of eminent domain can make the the pipeline project uh what we would call unfeasible it, it just wouldn't it wouldn't be uh it, it wouldn't be cost effective and it could hurt the economy so what are there any limitations or are there any uh do you think that eminent domain should never have any utility by a private company, or is it something you think should be more difficult? I guess that's my question. Great question. The the they're under the scheme that we have now, the condemnation scheme um, that's in place today. A, a one landowner cannot stop a project, so it's really not an issue today. When we talk about whether you know from a big picture perspective, eminent domain is needed for those purposes, yes, I, that's the reason that we have it because. If the state, for example, needs to build a highway, you can't have one person say no and the highway doesn't happen. Um, there is some parallels between private pipelines and electric transmission lines. Electric transmission lines, however, go through a contested case at the Public Utility Commission where those that are affected are presented with several alternatives for the routing of the line. They can intervene and participate and hire lawyers and cross-examine witnesses. They can choose not to, but they at least have that option to participate in the routing decision. Ultimately, a judge makes a recommendation to publicly elected commissioners that are accountable to the voters who decide on the routing. And one thing we've argued for many years in in court uh, filings and amicus briefs and so on is that there is no reason that pipelines should not be placed in the same position as electric transmission lines. There's a process for those to be involved. And so that one holdout that doesn't want the project has an opportunity at the outset to say why the line shouldn't go through his property or why another route is superior to the route that would affect his property. Um, so I would say that, that sure, we recognize the need of condemnation is, is there. It's, uh, you know, it's undeniable that, that you could not build these projects probably without it. 
Um, but what we would argue for is that there should be a balance between the private landowner rights and the um, the need for the project uh, and, and the routing considerations, that sort of thing. Um, let's follow up on that because one of the things that, that we've kind of talked about offline is, and I'm curious your, your take on this, is you know if you had a truly free market, you could build refineries theoretically anywhere you could purchase private property. Um, as we know, that's not the case here in the United States. Um, so when you're talking about routing, like we're seeing right now with the Keystone Pipeline or these big, large pipelines, large diameter pipe, it's not, it's kind of like a highway as you allude to. It's not as easy to, to slap a bunch of hot bins on there and, and, and route it around a property. Um, how much consideration do we have to take into account that, you know what, there is a refinery here and yes, theoretically, they could move around, um, but the cost at some point um, um, becomes just too formidable to do the project because we've got this landowner here, that landowner there, and we're going like, you know, 400, 500, 700, 1,000 miles. Um, If every landowner has a specific say and the landowners understand they have a specific say, um, they could really delay the project for a lot, uh, uh, you know, years and years on end. Sure, but I mean, ultimately, that's that's a question that everybody that exercises the power to condemn has to deal with. For example, the state, when they build a highway, they've got to decide if they have the funds to build the highway, whether it makes economic sense to build the highway. Um, their motivations are, of course, different than a private pipeline company, but um, I think that there's more... T- there's more to it than just what's the cost to the condemnor, what's the cost to the pipeline company, what's the impact to the landowner, and what's what are they going to suffer in terms of diminished value as a result of the project? We'll now have each speaker ask questions of the other regarding his testimony. This is your time to cross-examine your counterpart. Both of you will have five minutes to do this. Mr. Vu, you may, you may begin asking your questions of Mr. Laurent starting now. Good morning, Nick. Hey, Danny. Uh, would you agree that private industry is more efficient than government? I would. I think most people probably would. I think the rub here, though, is when we delegate the power to the government, um, the government can't then just step out of the picture. You know, it's it's a power of the government for a reason. And, and if we give that power to a private company, uh, the government, I think, still needs to be involved in some way to ensure that power is not exploited. Uh, would you agree with me that uh, the court system is a part of the government that would oversee whether a uh, condom or like the pipeline company is overstepping its authority? Yes, I would. Although, uh, as you know, in the court system, we're constrained by the statutes from the legislature and the precedent that's been set um, under the law. So, yes, that is true, although I think there are some constraints that that have proven to be problematic with respect to these cases. Right, and then with the issue of routing, uh, the the landowner's remedy is to prove that the routing is arbitrary and capricious, is that right? Yes, or bad, I think bad faith, arbitrary, capricious, or fraudulent, if I recall correctly. Right, right. So there there is a avenue or a remedy for a landowner, would you agree with me? Yes. Okay, so would you agree with me that pipelines in Texas, are the most efficient way of getting products from West and South Texas to refiners, plants, and ports in the Gulf Coast? Yes, probably for some materials at least. Would you agree with me that private companies, uh, without private companies such as pipelines, would you agree with me that the hydrocarbons in West Texas and South Texas would essentially be trapped? Yes, probably. Yes, I think that's probably true. Okay, that, that concludes my cross. I'm 
saving some time for the whole crew here. Very good. Thank you, Mr. Vu. Mr. Laurent, you now have five minutes to cross-examine Mr. Vu. And your clock starts now. Great. Thank you. Uh, Danny, the first question I had um, goes back to the opening statement that I had made on public participation for routing. Do you think that that would be um, a problem if the public were involved, similar to example for the PUC process, in helping to, to determine the routing of these pipelines? Um, you know, I think that topic has been brought up uh, in the legislature in the past, and, and it, never, it never got past, I think, committee. Um, so I think there is always going to be the idea that a landowner would say anywhere but my property. So that would be the thing that is problematic from, from our side uh, is that uh, pipeline companies are just going to be denied entry on anyone's property because everybody would just say, just not on mine. So it has to go somewhere. So input, uh, you know, I think pipeline companies, when they sit down and meet with landowners, they'll talk about trying to parallel existing easements such as uh, electric transmission or other pipelines or property lines. I don't think that's off the table on a case-to-case -case, uh, uh, analysis, but from a large over uh, above view of the whole project, I don't know if that's feasible. Okay, uh, let me ask you this. As you know, I'm sure if you want to run a pipeline through state-owned land, for example, TxDOT right-of-way, the state publishes a schedule that has a price and there's a form, effectively, the state issues that, that is a term deal. Are you aware of that? Yes. Is it, I think it's a 10-year term is the initial deal for most lines. Does that sound correct? Yes. Do you think it's fair that the state, when a pipeline goes through its property, forces the pipeline company to do a term deal, but allows the pipeline company to take a permanent perpetual easement from a private landowner? No, no, I don't think it's fair. But the state has the power, or, or what I would say is sovereign immunity, so they get to really dictate what happens on state land. Uh, with respect to landowners and their ability to say, I want to negotiate a term deal versus a perpetual deal. Um, you know, the way that the, the Texas Supreme Court has determined how to compensate landowners, it's really just one sum. It's the before and after uh, approach, and, uh, and within that is the sales income or, or cost approach. Uh, there, there's no mechanism for us to go into whether we want to pay them every 10 years. My, my, I think pipeline companies have every right to ask for perpetual easement, and uh, that's the way that the Supreme Court has come down and said that this is the method that you're going to use to value this. Uh, sure, but sure. I, I do not think. So, pardon me. Sorry. Yeah. So I was just going to say I, I I certainly understand that's that's the law. I guess my question is more: Does that inconsistency seem odd to you that the state? Um, forces pipeline companies to do term deals, but forces private landowners to accept permanent deals. Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, the, the state is flexing its sovereign immunity. Okay. Um, and one of the other questions I had for you is, when a landowner is burdened with a pipeline from a private pipeline company, I think it's your, it would be your argument that they are providing to the, to the good of the public overall, the state and the economy overall. Is that true? Yes, in addition to another thing, uh, uh, I, I talked about all the economic benefits, but specifically for a right to take 
on a, for example, a common carrier carbon dioxide hydrogen line is that the Texas Supreme Court has said the public use is established when uh, the, the transporter has a contract with an unaffiliated third party for one the transportation. Minute, so it takes one customer to establish uh, common carrier status for common carbon dioxide and hydrogen. Okay, and my last question for you is, I, I think we're on the same page. The argument is that the one landowner provides for the greater good, but how much is too much? Um, if you have one pipeline on your property, okay, I get that. What about five? What about 10? We have a client that has 80 pipelines on his property. Is that, where's the ceiling on when you've given too much for the greater good? Where, where's the, the, the backstop on that? I, I suppose for the, for the landowner and those 80 uh, rights of way, there, were, there was compensation involved. Um, I don't know if government can get into, I'll say it, the weeds of saying, this is too much because there are some tracts of land that are just a quarter acre. There are some uh, tracts of land, I would say, under the same ownership of hundreds and thousands of acres. So I don't know if we can have any legislation that would say X number of pipelines is enough. You've got to go around. That is five minutes, gentlemen. We'll now have time for any concluding questions that Josh and Ryan may have. Uh, Mr. Laurent and Mr. Vu, each of you has 90 seconds to answer each question that Josh and Ryan have. And should either of you feel it necessary to respond to the same question or to respond to what your counterpart has said, you have 30 seconds to do so. Josh and Ryan, you have 10 minutes to ask questions beginning now. Well, one, uh, one question that I've had that I've been, I've been thinking about for some time um, is more along the philosophical grounds. So I understand that the laws are written as they are, but I'm trying to understand why the laws are as they are. Uh, and I know that may not be where y'all spend the um, majority of your time being uh, as lawyers. Well, one question I have, uh, there's some folks that are libertarians that go by a slogan that taxation is theft. And they have an argument that, um, not necessarily in the energy sector, but they have an argument that if you take money from people uh, in effect stealing and then you go and you build something good with it, that even though you built something good like roads or schools or whatever, that the fact that you got it from an ill-gotten means um, doesn't negate the fact that it was culpable. Uh, it, 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 uh, the, the ends don't justify the means is, is the basic premise there. So uh, the first question would be for you, Mr. Vu, do you believe that there's any infraction of a person's rights when you go and force them um, to, to give up a certain amount of their property in an easement. Is there any, what's the philosophical grounds or how do you think through that? I mean, does a person have the right to own property? And do you think, what do you think, of, what do you think about that in terms of um, that person being forced to give up a certain amount of their property? Is there any, just philosophically, how do we, how, do, how should we think about it? Uh, philosophically, I think for, for anything that we have in, in a functional society is that there's nothing that's unfettered or unconditional. I do not have the unfettered First Amendment right to say certain things. There, there's limitations. So uh, for us to function as a society, there has to be uh, the rules. And, and unfortunately, there has to be taxation. We cannot, as a society without government, agree on roads or schools because i think many people would say you can have a road just not on my property so government has to be able to take 
Now, uh, it has to take with adequate compensation. Now, I think the, really the issue is whether it should delegate it to private companies. And then that's when I fall back to my opening of whether there's efficiency and there's real benefit to society. Nick, did you have anything to respond to? Yeah, sure. I, I didn't, didn't want to step on anyone's time. Um, I, I think that um, eminent domain is needed. I don't think anybody could, could with a straight face deny that eminent domain is a needed um, issue or, or right of the government. Um, and I think it's undeniable that in most circumstances, eminent domain is helpful and efficient um, to acquire property for a project. Um, although it's not always necessary, some people want roads. Many people want new roads when we sit in traffic in Austin or Houston or Dallas or wherever. Having new roads benefits the public at large and many times those with property on the highway um, because they have a new bigger road. But it's not always uh, critical, uh, I would argue. We've, we've got uh, you at 30 seconds, sir. Okay, I would say it's not always critical. And, and the greatest example of that is electric transmission lines are sort of vilified as one of the, the nastier um, projects to come through private property. And there's an example, uh, the, the Horse Hollow project out um, a little bit west in the hill country, where a, a company came and built an electric transmission line and did not use the power of eminent domain. They negotiated easements and, and acquired sir, right away. You're out of time, sir. Thank you. Um, okay, I got a couple of quick and easy questions, I think. I just want to run through here. First, for you, Mr. Vu, you alluded to the fact that without pipelines, we could not get the oil and gas out of the ground in West Texas. Um, while this show would generally we're pro pipeline, so don't misquote me here. Um, but we do have to recognize that we could truck and rail it, and those would not require, as it stands right now, any additional um, eminent domain cases because we have rail and transportation. Now, it wouldn't be as efficient, but we could do that. You would agree with that, correct? Depending on the substance, I don't think you could do that for natural gas. Okay, so for oil, at least you would concede that that oil is a viable um, solution there. Yes, although more dangerous and way less efficient. Nope, no, yeah, no argument there, Nick. Do you have anything on that? I think it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah, no, I think I think that that you're absolutely right. You you okay. need uh, pipelines to efficiently transport uh, most of the materials that are extracted hydrocarbon-wise. Okay. Um, one thing that's come up a couple times is the Supreme Court. Um, because the Supreme Court says something, doesn't mean it doesn't mean it's ethical, doesn't mean it's moral, doesn't mean it's philosophically right. Would be my stance. So, um, first, Mr. Vu, Vu, we'll go to you because you have brought that argument a couple times. Do you ever disagree with the Supreme Court, and do you challenge their rulings? Yes, I do disagree with the Supreme Court, uh, uh, and the challenge is unfortunately it, it's going to be have to go through the district court, court of appeals and hopefully uh, accepting petition from the Supreme Court. So uh, realistically, the, uh, the ability to challenge prior precedent is very difficult. Um, so I, whether I agree with them or not, uh, it's hard to get a case in front of them because, frankly, as Nick would probably say too, most cases do work out at settlement at some point. Yeah, and I'll add to that. I, sure, I disagree with the Supreme Court. I think most lawyers at some point or another would disagree um, with the, the rationale or the reasoning of the Supreme Court on any particular issue. We are, however, constrained by the precedent that the Texas Supreme Court sets when we talk about cases that are litigated here in Texas. Um, and as some of your listeners may know, some may not, the Supreme Court in Texas, like most Supreme Courts, is discretionary, meaning they don't have to take every case that's presented to them. They get to select what cases they will take. So even if you had an issue that's right for them to consider, they may ultimately not end up taking the case and the, the precedent on that issue would remain the same. 
All right. Uh, I had a follow-up on one of the questions that uh, Mr. Laurent asked Mr. Vu earlier, and it was with regard to the state uh, forcing a 10-year lease rather than perpetual ownership. And Mr. Vu, you acknowledged that that was not, uh, it wasn't fair. Um, were you suggesting that the state shouldn't have that ability or that the private owner should? I, well, I, I would argue that the state shouldn't, um, but uh, the idea of eminent domain being vested in the government is also the idea that the government is also immune. So uh, if they want to open it up to treat themselves like every other individual in Texas, then yes, I think they should give up that sovereign immunity. Okay. And, uh, and to you, Mr. Laurent, um, do you think that that right of the state is a good right? Do you think they should have that right? Or do you think that obviously if it's a good right, you believe that it should extend to private owners for just at least from consistency st uh, standpoint? Exactly. Yeah. I, what I'm saying is I think that it should be consistent. If the state's going to grant that power to private companies, it should allow those private companies to do the same thing to private landowners that the companies do to it. And when the state forces an inconsistency like that, I think it's unfair. I think, honestly, the fairest way to do pipeline easements would be to do allow for term deals and to require royalties. That works for the production of oil and gas. Let the landowners share in the benefit that the pipeline company shares in. Um, it's a system that works in other in other instances, and I don't see why it wouldn't work here. The problem is the law just doesn't allow us to to collect that. That's one of the big misconceptions in a pipeline easement case. There is no royalty. It's a one-time payment for a permanent easement. Um, Mr. Laurent, earlier you talked about not only the impact on a property uh, when a pipeline is you know, cuts across the land um, on the easement, the, the surrounding property. What if pipeline companies um, were to use directional drilling more regularly to drill underneath the property at a safe depth um, instead of cutting easements? Um, if that were brought before an eminent domain court, said, well, you know what, you can't go across Mr. Lynch's property cutting cutting through it, but you can directional drill under it. Obviously, it costs a little bit more for the pipeline companies, but it would preserve the integrity integrity of the land. What do you think about something like that? It, it, sure, it would it would lessen the impact to the surface, absolutely, um, in, in terms of destruction from trenching and so on. The problem is, typically in most pipeline easements, the landowner is not allowed to use the surface of the easement anymore. So even if they directionally uh, bore underneath the land, the surface is still encumbered in the sense that the landowner can't build a house on it or whatever in, in most instances. So that may allay problems with trenching, but it may not, um, may not reduce the impact to the landowner on the surface of the property. Mr. Vu, you got anything to respond to that? I, I do. Uh, when a pipeline lays uh, across a landowner's property, it's true that a lot of the rights are taken. Um, if we talk about the bundle of sticks on property rights, I've seen uh, appraisers value the taking at 90%, meaning 10% is retained by the owner for grazing, crossing with utilities, crossing with roads. So Nick's right, you know, the industry does not like having houses or permanent structures over their easement, but it's not a complete take. Uh, there are things that they can still do. All right, we will stop our Q&A there. Gentlemen, each of our speakers may now make a closing statement. Mr. Vu, you have two minutes to do so. Thank you. Uh, I would like to conclude with a series of questions that I hope would provoke further thought on this topic. 
Um, what would winters be like in the Northeast if the Williams Transco pipeline didn't exist? What would Texas summers be like without natural gas powering air conditioners? What would Russia's foreign policy be like if the oil and gas in West and South Texas were trapped in the ground? What would OPEC be doing if they knew our hydrocarbons could not be taken to market? What would the Texas economy look like without economic, the economic boom provided by the Permian and Eagle Ford basins? And lastly, with respect to building and operating pipelines, who would do a better job, government or private industry? Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Vu. Mr. Laurent, you have two minutes to do the same thing. Your clock starts now. You bet. Thank you guys for having us on and thank you, Danny, for a, for a good conversation on the topic. Um, I think that, like I said before, pipelines are needed. It would be silly to suggest that pipelines are not necessary um, to extract, for example, hydrocarbons in the Permian Basin and get them to Houston or wherever they're produced and, and get them to market uh, where they can be uh, sold. Uh, it's all a question here of balancing two very important things, you know, oil and gas, business, economic interests that are absolutely important to our state and to our economy. There's no question about it. It would be silly to suggest otherwise. But we also have to balance private property rights. You know, what's your property, what's the, the benefit of private property ownership if someone can force themselves onto your property um, without really much involvement or, or say from the landowner? That's the, the right of exclusion we talk about when we talk about the bundle of sticks that Danny mentioned is, is probably one of the most important ones with respect to private property ownership, and that can be taken from you um, by a, a private for-profit company. So in all of this, it's a, it's a balance. Um, like anything, like I mentioned before, we've got to balance the, the two competing interests and try to find a system that, that allows for pipeline companies to uh, to ship product, but also protects the interests of private landowners. And, and the, the big question I'll leave everybody with is how much is too much? You know, think about your property, your ranch. Um, if you had one pipeline, okay, you may not like it, but you could live with it perhaps. Uh, what about five? What about 10? What about 15? Seconds, what if you've got 200 yards of pipeline easement going through your property? When is it, when is it effectively too much and you've given too much of your property for the greater good? Excellent. Thank you very much, gentlemen. That is the formal uh, section of our debate finished. Uh, Mr. Vu, why don't you tell us a little bit about Zabel Freeman and um, what we can do to find more about them? Sure. Uh, Zabel Freeman is largely a oil and gas midstream law firm that's been in existence for about 15 years. Uh, our website is www.zflawfirm.com and uh, we primarily practice representing condom nors. Uh, there's an oil and gas section, but I, I don't do any of that. But for purposes of this topic, uh, we do a lot of work for pipeline companies. Excellent. And Mr. Laurent, why don't you tell us a little bit about Baron Adler, Clue, and Otto? Am I, am I pronouncing that correctly, Clue? <laughs> uh, Clough. Clough. And, and I'll, but, but he gets needled frequently for the name, so I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll tell him he got needled here. Um, Clough and Odo is actually the last one. Um, we're, we're a firm here in Austin, a handful of lawyers. All that we do is represent landowners in condemnation cases. We're sort of a one-trick pony in that sense. Um, our practice includes road highway takings, municipal utility district takings, pipeline, electric transmission line. We've got cases on the border wall. A lot of that is private property. Um, and we represent landowners in those cases, uh, both statewide and actually outside of Texas. Um, but it is all that we do. Our uh, website is Baron Adler, B-A-R-R-O-N 
A-D-L-E-R. And if any of your listeners are faced with a, a taking, uh, we'd love to visit with them about it and, uh, and, and happy to happy to talk. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure, and we asked that you keep it cordial and um, not kind of veer off topic. Y'all did fantastic, so Josh and I really appreciate that. I know the listeners will, um, and as we said offline, and we'll say it here for the listeners' benefit, we'll be happy to have you guys on. Or I know Tom, uh, Mr. Zabel, was supposed to be here today, but he had a uh, last-minute engagement. Uh, Mr. Vu or Mr. Zabel can come on as well again in the future. Any final thoughts, um, anything we you, know, you guys want to – maybe plug or promote before we get you out of here today. I want to thank Nick. Uh, you know, the, the whole idea of a debate is dialogue and understanding the other side's position. And I, I hope that, uh, you know, with that type of uh, uh, debate that we can take something to the Texas legislature to formulate a law that addresses his concerns. Um, I think that's the only way to really approach it versus getting something to the Texas Supreme Court um, it's, it's best and probably more efficient to get it in front of the legislature. But Nick has really opened my eyes to a lot of things, and uh, it, it was really appreciated. Yeah, and I'll echo that. It was great um, great having the conversation with you, Danny, and I've got a lot of respect for Danny and his colleagues, Tom and James Freeman, and all the folks at, at his firm. They, they do good work. They, they certainly know the law. Um, and they're formidable adversaries in the cases that we've litigated with them. Um, the one takeaway I would give for your listeners, um, just in terms of timing, is the session is, is going on right now, the legislative session. There are several bills that are before the legislature on the subject of eminent domain. Regardless of the listener's position, whether they're you know, in favor of pipeline companies, in favor of private landowner rights, or, or, or in favor of both, uh, let your legislators know how you feel and, and what you think is important. And if you have ideas on a balance between private property rights and the need for pipelines and that sort of thing, because the legislatures, the legislators need our input on um, what would be best for their constituents. Thank you very much, gentlemen. That was a fascinating discussion. We're going to take a few minutes now to discuss what, what just happened, what we just talked about. And we'll weigh in with our insights on uh, what our speakers have talked about and discuss those issues a little bit more. Of course, if you want to jump in on the conversation, be sure to visit us at www.texasoilandgaspodcast.com and go to our section, Ask Us a Question. That's all hyphenated and jump in on this discussion as well. Josh and Ryan, what did you think about Mr. Vu's mention of Russia's uh, foreign policy if our hydrocarbons are trapped in the Permian? Yeah. I, okay. So first off, let's before we say anything, Josh. I think me and you both on the record that they did a fantastic job, and the comments here are not anything we say critical. Is just we didn't have a lack of time to get into these various things with them. So I want to be very clear. I thought they did an outstanding job, and uh, I do have some critiques or some questions I would like to ask, but just run out of time. Um, when you talk about the issue of foreign policy, um, I would I would submit to anyone about U.S. foreign policy that. Um, that that it's very that's a very that's a very dangerous argument as Josh was pointing out early on. Well, what about OPEC? What would they do, or what would Russia do? Well, you can make that argument again about any, anything. So maybe Russia would respond a certain way, but also you ha- that's it's a very limited way to think. Well, if Russia knew we couldn't drill for oil and gas, well, in the '90s, what was Russia doing? They weren't bombing us repeatedly, right? It wasn't like Russia was over here marching the beaches and taking us by storm. Um, and we weren't so we weren't a massive oil and gas producer then. So um, well, that would be my question: is is well, what do you say to the the time before we were an oil and gas producer? What was their foreign policy? And 
Um, and the final thing I would say is if you actually look at Russia's GDP, it's it's very insignificant. And um, um, and so I think a lot of that Russia stuff particularly is hyped up by the media. Just um, but anyways, that that that'd be that'd be my com- comment. It's two things. One, you could make that foreign policy argument about a lot of things. Two, what was Russia doing? Was Russia you know bombing us? Were they threatening us? Were we starving? Were there mass casualties in the streets before we were a major player in the oil and gas world? And the answer is no. They were too. I saw that Red Dawn movie. <laughs> Red Dawn. Okay, <laughs> that was a documentary. <laughs> it's real history. Real history. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm thinking through some of the things that they that they brought up. Um, so I agree that we need uh, that we need eminent domain, and and there needs to be elements where companies can come in and take take ownership. But my question about the philosophical foundation kind of goes back to. Um, there was a time, I, I believe, there was a, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what nation did it, but they took human beings and started doing experiments on them so that they could find cures to certain illnesses. And they exploited like hundreds of thousands of people, uh, experiments, scientific experiments, and they used it to create medicines, uh, medicines that we're still enjoying today. And the question is, was the privilege and benefits of billions of people worth the evil atrocities that was committed against these individuals? And so that question, uh, that question has, has, it's hard to answer uh, because, and, and I'm not trying to equate the two, but I, well, the question I have though is, um, is there any culpability in taking what somebody else owns? Is there any culpability in that philosophically? Um, and that's a question that I don't know that we, we got an answer to, and I don't know that we can answer it, honestly. I, I, I think I'm in agreement with the positions that, that were taken in general, uh, but I, I still a question that I haven't gotten answered. You know, I, it's hard for me to, to really understand uh, the premises behind that or, or uh, that that's built on. Yeah, and, and I'm curious your thoughts here on this, Nate, uh, because for me, the one of the things that I heard from both sides was, is and, and listen, I understand why it was done, is it's kind of a fear-based thing. Well, what about Russia? What about OPEC? What about this? What about that? And Josh used that line of argumentation there, too, as well. What about this? And so it's, and so we, we, we have to use that kind of line of reasoning to project out um, what might happen because as you know, if you give private companies special rights in medicine um, then they might then, then then their lawyers will surely argue for special rights in other cases that's not a stretch to say it it doesn't mean that the government will grant it um, and for me it, it feels like um, and now we're not lawyers here so that's part of it but it feels like to me that part of this conversation is we are actually giving the government the right and when we when, when we say we want the government to, because the government is the one who will send out people in, in with guns and throw you in jail or fine you or whatever. They're the ones who will enforce them in domain, not the private companies. The private companies will not have a SWAT team out there saying you have to bear this pipeline. Um, so we are giving the right to the government. And I'm curious, Nate, because to me that feels like really um, kind of glazed over from the legal perspective. But philosophically, that's where I stand is that, hey, you are giving the government because they are the enforcers of the law. Yeah, in the American system, at least, the sovereignty of the government ultimately comes from the people, right? So if it if it does that, then the only reason that we have a government that's able to say, do this or else, ultimately comes from the the common consent of everybody who makes up the government, which 
ultimately is going to be the people, the very people that those private companies are exercising the power of the government against. So you get under really sticky philosophical ground when you say that the citizens of this of this nation in a private corporation are able to um, band together and use the power of the government to burden the, the land of, of, say, Mr. Smith. When the reality is that Mr. Smith, because he's part of the same body politic as those people, is also part of that government. He's, he's who, who that government was designed to represent. And so we get onto this, into this weird question where, you know, if we've got the government representing the case of Smith versus ExxonMobil, who's to say that ExxonMobil as a, as a corporation that is a citizen of the United States or a citizen of the t state of Texas has more right than Smith to, to exist or to do its thing. Right. And the other thing is if the judges are elected, we have to, we can't negate the fact that campaign finance contributions could sway judges to, um, vote one way or another. If you say, well, they're appointed. Well, who are they appointed by? So, um, again, those are weeds that you that you have to get down to that that, that could take forever to, to 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 work all that out. But but those are all things that I think um, that we have to consider. Is that okay? Well, these judges are elected by the people. True, but who who is backing those those judges? Because they're going to obviously expect them to vote in their manner. And we can talk about justice is blind and judges are fair. But I think practically we, we all realize that that's that's not. Um, that's not a issue. There was a couple of things, Josh. I'm curious about this. The number of pipes brought up by Mr. Laurent. I thought that was a fascinating argument because, um, in you know, like the Houston Ship Channel, there's pipes everywhere down there. But I can see a situation where you you have a big, nice chunk of land and you're out in the Permian, and the next thing you know, someone wants to lay a pipeline. And the first one, you're like, you know what? What the heck? A little money in the pocket. Why not? And then the second one comes along, and then the fifteenth one comes along, and you're like, well, dude, I have this, you know. 200 acres and now I've got 15 pipelines across my property. Um, you know, even if they are falling the perimeters, you basically box me in. Um, and I, I don't know how we, we legislate or how we, we view that, but I think that's something that we do have to consider is that we can't make a rule based upon the 15 pipelines on one property, but we do have to consider that that to me, at what point do you say, well, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one when this one guy is the one taking the beating for everyone else. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the question. You know, I, I, I think it was a great point. Uh, you mentioned that, Ryan, as, a, as kind of a, a farcical joke that what if every 10 yards you had, a, you know, a drilling mm -hmm. pad or, and mm -hmm. the whole mm -hmm. surface mm -hmm. was encumbered? Well, the surface owner has been gypped. On the other hand, if there's a mineral owner and the surface owner won't allow him to get to those minerals and the mineral owner is being gypped, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that tension um, wasn't necessarily done away. We just didn't have time to really jump into it. But it's a great point that at some point the surface owner, he is, he is being mistreated. It's a, it's a bad faith to, to lay that many pipelines. So, you know, um, yeah, because it's, it's hard to well, question. How could you legislate a limit, though? Right, right. It, and it's tough because, you're, like you're saying, Josh, he, he's, he's stuck. And the pipeline company's like, hey, man, you know, you're right here in the key alley. This is this the way it is. Um, but then when the landowner wants to sell, if he wants to sell his property, now he's got 15, 20, whatever pipelines across his property. And obviously Lorraine, that's going to devalue. One client had 80. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Now, 
Um, I, I would be I would be curious to see the case of the eighty because it might be a deal where that guy wanted the first seventy nine, <laughs> you know, and then by number eighty he was like, oh, okay. Or it could be an extremely large ranch where okay, you know, these people have you know tens of thousands of acres. I'm not saying that that makes it right or wrong, but I I, I would like to see more about that, you know, that that particular situation there. Um, the other thing I was curious about, um, is the taxes and I want to talk about the taxes from two different standpoints. So let's start off with just the, the need for taxes. And for me, this argument, uh, I'm curious, both of you guys thought it's very hard for me to take this as an acceptable argument. I, I don't, and it is frustrating because it, the Democrat side of the position is, is, Hey, we need bigger government but yet they complain about how government spends the money. The Republican side of it is, hey, we need smaller government, and they complain about how government spends the money. So I have a very hard time swallowing the pill of, we need this to generate taxes when everyone with any kind of understanding of how government's going to use the money understands that government will waste the money, they will blow the money, they will not use the money appropriately. And then the counter to that point is, well, it's just the way things are. And I'm like, well, if we're saying that the government can enforce the right to take property from someone, and that we know that that will generate funds for the government that they will then misuse. Um, we are saying that the, the government are bad stewards of what they have. How then can we reasonably expect the government to, to, to make wise decisions on how to rule on these issues? Because they're not good stewards with their money. Um, and usually people who aren't good stewards with their money are not good stewards in other areas. Now you can start saying, well, that's different branches of government and this, that, and the other. I, I, I've, I've got a few speeding tickets. I can tell you when I lived in Louisiana, the speeding ticket were like this. You get a speeding ticket, you had to pay whatever it was, let's say 200 bucks. You, that's 200 bucks. If you went to court, you didn't go to court, whatever, they charge you 200 bucks. Uh, 150 bucks, let's say, would be the court fee. So they would charge you the court fee because even if you didn't go to court, because guess what? They need that money to keep that ma- that huge, huge ship running. Obviously, they're overexpending and wasting the money. So even the judicial branch, I would say, um, can be seen as bad stewards in a lot of cases. We'll start maybe with Nate. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, we talked about this on the show with one of our articles a couple of weeks ago um, with that talk about... Um, how the oil and gas industry generated something like what fourteen billion dollars for the state of Texas um, in twenty eighteen, and I was looking at that and I was thinking that how is that a good thing, right? Because right. that's just that's just that much more money in in the pocket of of the government, um, and it, it's not clear to me that more tax revenue is, you know qua tax revenue a good thing what we really need to be asking is where that money is going and whether or not it's being put towards beneficial things so for example in in that article i just mentioned it said that a lot of that money um i don't remember the exact amount now but went towards uh the texas general education fund Mm -hmm. um and often that fund um is more or less the unallocated general spending budget for the for the government when they want to i don't know change the drapes in the secretary of state's office and so they say this will benefit the school children because the secretary of state has some kind of connection with the public schools therefore we can justify using this budget to do that and then buy whoever that is two hundred thousand dollar curtains wonderful Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily something that you want oil and gas money going toward when that same money could be reinvested in building up infrastructure more or making facilities safer so that we don't get oil spills in the Gulf 
or possibly even, oh, I don't know, crazy things like building parks in Midland. Who knows? Paying landowners more money. Cause they don't oh, pay yeah. Taxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, in, in defense of uh, Mr. Vu, there's a, uh, there's a proverb that says, answer a fool according to his folly. And I think what Mr. Vu was pointing to was a lot of people point to the economy and they say, they talk about oil and gas, how there's all these risks, but there's all these benefits too. So for most people, the amount of taxes that the oil and gas industry brings in is a positive thing for Texas and for the the country. So I think what he was saying is not necessarily that, now he, he may argue that it's good, but even if you take the stances that taxes are bad, but your opponent takes a stance that taxes are good, you could still use it as an argument that this is a reason why you should support it. Uh, the good, the good that it's doing, I think, uh, because I would argue, I would argue that way with someone who thought taxes were a good thing. I, I looked at the the spending bill that was signed, uh, the huge spending bill, like whatever whatever the amount was, seven hundred billion, and there were millions of dollars put in. Like I forget some of them. They were funny. Like they were ridiculous <laughs> uh, things. Like in different countries, they were doing these weird, like fifteen million here for just absolutely ridiculous items absolute waste of of money that they're getting so i believe that the government misspends money terribly but for someone that believes that taxes are a good thing you can use you can still use that as a point in an argument to to make a point i think yeah i think it needs to be brought out josh um i do agree with on on one issue if you were to say um environmentalists or something were saying well oil and gas companies aren't paying their fair share i think then you could say well here is what they're paying, you know, good gosh, if this isn't their fair share, what is? So I, I don't think it's something that we can't um, use um, properly. Um, I'm just a little concerned with saying, well, we, if we do this, then we generate funds to fund the government. And and, um, and we can talk about, you know, and, and let's go back to some stories. Consistency we issue. Consistency right. well, issue. And let's go back to stories we've covered, Josh, is about the roads in these rural counties that are beat up from oil and gas trucks going up and down them. Um, you know, we're paying all this money to the state of Texas and we can't get the roads fixed. Um, and so it's like, well, wh- where's that money going? Where's that money? Um, what's that money doing? And why is it being used? And the reality is we all know everyone, everyone agrees on this. It's being wasted now to the percentage or to the degree, even if you said it should fund the programs it's going to fund, we would all agree that there's waste and the waste is immeasurable because it's not a free market mechanism. So you can't make, you can't measure, um, how much waste is going into education because you're not competing in a free market society. Whereas in a business, you could say, well, these two businesses are competing. We can see that this guy is making X amount of profit. So we'll get off that. Um, one thing we talked about and we didn't get into today, um, we'll, we'll kind of maybe wrap it up with this or you guys have got some other stuff, um, is let's, let's stick on the taxes thing. Um, you know, one thing I talk about when I talk about taxes and property rights is that when you pay property taxes, um, and I don't know all the property tax law in the state of Texas, so I'm not claiming to have it. But to my knowledge, I think everyone pretty much pays taxes, barring a few exceptions. I know where, where I was born and raised most of my life in Louisiana, it's what, 75000 and under, Josh? Something like that. Okay, so unless you have a, if you have a home valued over 75000 or land valued over 75000 you have to pay taxes. Um, essentially, that means that you, you're, the state is claiming ownership on your property um, because they're taxing your property. Even if you have no other loans or things like that on it, they are claiming that they own it and they're taxing you for it. Um, and so the analogy I always give is if you have a mortgage, the mortgage company pays your taxes because they know who owns the property and that's the state. 
Um, when we talk about this issue and we go back, we kind of go back to the tax stuff at large, but to me, that's kind of a critical component here is the state is already claiming ownership of your property. Um, then when you give them the right to exercise eminent domain for a private company, you really put the landowner in a bad position because he's got to pay taxes. Now he's got to succumb to the private business. And that's with the guys that I'm pro pipelines, I'm pro industry, I'm pro all this stuff. Um, but I don't know if we actually think about some of the implications of some of these policies um, as it pertains to rights. I agree, and I, I think I think that is a, a great point, and, and I don't know I don't know what the answers are to that. Honestly, I think there are um, I think there are def- definitely good proposals out there that have that have been talked about, but uh, they're so conservative that uh, many people don't even give them give them an ear. Yep, uh, Josh, Nate, what else we got? Any any other thoughts or things that we um, that we missed that, you, that I missed at least that you guys wanted to comment on? I think that's it for me, man. Yeah, nothing else. Okay, well, um, again, I, I thought this we're gonna wrap up this, and I thought those guys did a great job um, with the time they had and fascinating discussion. And so there's so many ways I think we could take this issue that it's um, it's tough. But I think we all agree in closing here that we all agree that you have to have, we we have to have pipelines, and we all agree that. You know, you you the, the company has to have the right for you know eminent domain to you to, to exercise that. Um, the, the 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 devil's in the details, but those details I think are very important. I think that we all agree there, and, and that um, when I walk away from this, I go, well, how, you know, I'm not sure how you, um, you know, how you think about this and how you do it because yeah. there's it's 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 so layered. There's so many layers to this. You go, what you know that. Um, that's probably why it's such a, a hotly debated topic. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to see what happens with the legislature that's coming up uh, to see what kind of changes are made. If you know, Lorenz's point, if the Supreme Court ends up ends up something gets up to that level where there's a ruling that you could do you know ten year leases instead of perpetual ownership, or or um, you know, just, I wonder how they're gonna how they're gonna handle it. I know there's. Laurent mentioned the having the meetings where you have a, you know, a bird's eye view of the whole project, and there's a town hall where people come together and meet. Um, I I don't, based on my conversations with project managers in the field, I don't think that is a good idea. Uh, but I could be missing things because I'm hearing it from that side more so. So, definitely some interesting things. Right, yeah. and I'll just wrap up with this. Um, on that on that reasonable effort stuff, the Keystone Pipeline, we've covered this on Energy Week a couple times now. The judge in, I think it's Montana, ruled last October-ish, something like that, 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 that uh, TransCanada had to produce an economic feasibility study for the pipeline. And to me, that is the kind of stuff we want to stay away from because that is really really silly and the judge like the judge is not an economist he can't read economic studies and um and so to me those are the types of things that you want to be careful when you set these rules up is that you you put in a rule that sounds really good it sounds really good and the next thing you know it's 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 just a dog and pony show and it has no real depth to it um so um so yeah so that's it um nate you want to wrap us up thank you ryan Thank you again to our guests, Danny Vu and Nick Laurent. We only bring you content like this with the kind support of our sponsors, Baffin Bay Rod and Gun. Check them out at BaffinBayRodAndGun.com. That's B-A-F-F-I-N Bay Rod and Gun, all one word, dot com. Do you have further questions or comments on this debate? 
let us know at texasoilandgaspodcast.com slash askusaquestion. Those are all hyphenated. That's ask-us-a-question. You can also give us a phone call. That number is 318-599-9192. Next week, it's back to our regular programming with Josh and Ryan giving you all the latest news from the oil patch. Join us, won't you? Until next time, this is your producer, Nate Hansen, saying thank you for listening and keep climbing.